0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Reliability It Matters. In today's episode, I will be speaking with our guest on the importance of work order data collection and how it relates to the reliability of our assets. I'd like to welcome Harish Lala to the podcast. Harish is currently working as a reliability engineer at Australian Rail Track Corporation, ARTC, and he has spent the last 12 months working as the assurance manager Prior to joining ARTC, he has spent multiple years managing the reliability and maintenance of steel mill. He has a bachelor's in mechanical engineering and a master's in maintenance and reliability engineering as well. Welcome to the podcast, Harish. Uh, have I missed out anything on this introduction for you, Harish?
1: No, you pretty much know that. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, before we jump into the main topic, Harish, I'd like I, I always ask this question to all my guests. How did you get into the field of reliability engineering? Uh, I guess it
1: sort of it was sort of assigned to me. So I was um, I started as, in the, as a graduate at the, at the um, steel mill over here at Newcastle at steel. Steel, um, and I guess the first rotation that I actually had was with the with their operational excellence uh, team. So that's the, um, you know they had a bunch of people doing process improvements and things like that. But then we were in the maintenance space and, and, and reliability. So there was a fairly I guess, a um, diverse group of people where they had people that were nearing retirement, had been around for 30 odd years and there were some sort of more junior engineers been around for five to 10 years and then there were graduates like myself. So we sort of, I guess they set us up to be uh, mentored by some of the ones that knew a lot more than you know the average person as well as spend times with, I guess, people that would ultimately be your immediate supervisor later on and it worked quite well. It um, really gave us a, a good, foundation for a lot of the, the principles and practices we try to roll out every day
0: yeah that sounds great so uh, by the sounds of it you were also thrown into the field of reliability engineering not that you chose the field of reliability engineering uh, am I correct in um, saying that
1: yeah it was sort of like yeah you know, I, so I, I came up from New Zealand I, I did my degree in, in Canterbury um, and this was Back at a time where there was a bit more money flowing around from the mining boom over here in Australia, so a lot of us graduates um, applied for roles um, overseas, and Australia yeah. being a, a very um, accessible market for us. And then, yeah, day one they put me with this team, and all of a sudden I was um, in the maintenance world. So, um, yeah, very, very uh, quick introduction, I guess. And no, um, yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was good. I think it was. Um, I wouldn't have picked it. Um, because it's not something you normally hear of. It's not like no. a, a usual field of study or practice. So it was nice.
0: Yeah, that, that is true. It's not something that is you can choose as a in your Bachelor of Studies of Reliability Engineering. It's mostly uh, a master's or a postgraduate program that you have to take up to learn more about reliability engineering. So I guess if your background being mechanical engineering, how did you find the transition from, you know, thinking that you would perhaps be designing stuff uh, and you know getting into reliability and the maintenance aspect of it uh, was that transition easy for you um, I, I guess that it was it was a bit of a, a learning curve having having um so i wasn't the
1: only graduate to start at the same time um with that same team so there's a um a, a chemical and process engineer that we um, that i started with and we were sort of learning some basics at the same time so i guess the idea of of doing a whole bunch of design i kind of waned to that towards the final years of my degree given that it it's a lot of cad bashing and a lot of times swearing at a computer screen and that wasn't really <laughs> that fun but then when we started to go into plants and start to look at you know things that you actually touch and fix and problems that are are there you know I've always sort of enjoyed fixing stuff and um, being able to do that for a living was quite quite attractive so um, yeah it just sort of it it made me a bit reluctant at first but it sort of it made sense after a, a short while.
0: Oh, that, that's great. It's it's good that you finally found, I guess, a career that you're enjoying now and um, you're really into it, a feel of reliability. Uh, so jumping straight into the topic, uh, the good work order data collection and how it relates to the reliability of assets. Uh, I guess, why? what should a good work order look like and why is it important um, to have a work order of a certain quality?
1: I find that I think people often rely on their memories and, and you often walk into a place and there's someone around that's been there for 30 years and, and they'll readily tell you, you know, we've had this problem before, we did this to fix it and, and have all these stories. And, and I guess one of the things that I did find early on in my career was that being so new to maintenance in in the heavy environment, um, and and trying to I guess figure out how to actually fix stuff, um, you know the stories would sometimes contradict, or there'd be certain things that just didn't seem to make sense. You know, people seem to have this this vast knowledge of stuff that, and and, and to a level of details. Like, how do you get that? And it was always sort of a, um, you know, it was a mystery to me. Um, as I as I sort of started doing things for myself, so being less, you know, shown around and more um, doing things on your own, it became apparent that a lot of what people remember, not really that accurate. You know, it's quite quite easy to forget things or or gloss over details or um, you know, exaggerate facts. So um, you sort of go, well, what records do we have? And and ultimately, you know, back in the day, there was a book of inspections. Um, but you know, given that we live in a computer age, it's now the work order and and um, we've got to learn to rely on that. Like, you know, you may have relied on a on a paper book in the past. And I think that's that's a it's a thing that's still developing from, from what I've seen and what I've spoken to to I guess under other industries about and a lot of the um round table type events that you have and I think there's still a, a paradigm where we don't respect it as we should we send emails we'll send post-it notes and stuff like that i think that's that's something that we've got to try and just channel into into the cms and make that the home for any requests any actions any findings from inspections you know just trying to really enrich those records that we have and we keep on the computer and we organize pretty well most of the time
0: so I guess there's so many CMMSs out there at the moment, they all more or less perform the same functionality. That is, they capture or they're able to create a work order, tell the maintainer what, where they need to go to maintain. Yet, I have seen we are still unable to collect enough information as a reliability engineer to do our jobs. Um, I, I mean, personally, I have struggled trying to understand, as you said, What has happened here? All When you read some of the work or the text, all you see is pump failed. Okay, pump failed. So what happened? Why? There's no other information. So what are some of the important, uh, I guess, pieces of information that we should be highlighting or should be be implementing in our CMMS to make, I'm not trying to make the reliability engineer's life easier, but it's just to understand more of what's the actual problem that your assets are facing, rather than just saying, you know, pump failed, well, we don't know anything about how it failed or what happened. What are some of those fields that we should be capturing?
1: It, yeah, like you say, it's, it, it, there's a number of CMMSs out there, and they all have a different way to do a similar sort of thing. Um, I seem to find, um, you know, there's, there's ones that might have a, um, I guess, a reliance on part codes. Um, or, or, or have a back office field where they've actually attached a bill of materials and you can assign parts to the things where they fail. Um, and, you know, things like that are quite good. And, and oftentimes when you're talking about, I guess, failures and, and reactive work, um, you know, it's, it's a very clear link between, um, you know, the, the event happening, what parts did I change and and recording that as a thing. And, and you know, there is a, there is a want to get uh, another level of, of investigation or insight, you know, apply a five wise thinking means mentality to go, all right, well, I I found this issue and it failed because of this. And then try and build a lot of that in. Um, And, you know, fundamentally there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, it's the, if we haven't started to uh, crawl first then then we're expecting walking and running to come quite quickly and uh, if we haven't started to just go, look, just record the event and what you actually did and, and start with that, then, um, you know, if you've got that happening easily, then then more power to you and, and go for, for the next level of actually getting some causes and some failure mode parts and, and, and things like that, recorded on your work order. But um, until you can get that basic, you know, we did this event, it took this long and we changed this thing, you know, even if it just does say part failed, pump failed, you know, you've got at least, if that happens consistently and you're accurate about it, then you've got something to build on rather than trying to go for perfect when you haven't even got, you know, an established um, drum beat or, or routine about things.
0: Yeah. Uh, I guess now this reminds me of, uh, of a term that I've heard quite often in, in a lot of CMS systems. They talk about fault codes. So that's always intrigued me. Not a lot of organizations have successfully implemented the usage of fault codes. I guess what do you think uh, or is the importance or what, what is a good level of fault codes and at what asset level and what granularity should a fault code be?
1: So I guess for fault code codes, the... I don't think I've ever seen it done really well. Like you say, it's, it's, a um, you'll, you'll have this idea in your head around, you know, certain types of failures that probably come quite quickly to you when you think about things like, all right, well, this always happens. So this needs to be considered. Um, and I think, you know, you, you, you build it, but then you quite quickly find an application that you, you run out or you, you overuse your other type or your, you know, unknown type field and, you, you just get into this, into a very, um, I guess, a, a, almost like a cycle of despair. Like you're like, oh, you know, we just got to get more accuracy. We'll add this one, in. we'll add that other one, in. and and then before you know it, you just got all these fault codes that just, you know, just become so hard to stay on top of that um, you're you're just drowning in, in information in the end. Um, and nothing really makes sense because everything's similar to the other one. So um, I think generally, you know, some of the principles are like that I've learned about liabilities, like if something's too hot or too cold or you know too noisy or the oil's too dirty or something like that. You've got some real basic, almost intuitive type um, things to call upon. And I think if we start with those types of co- codes where they're very intuitive, they they don't they're hard to get wrong. Um, you can almost go, all right, well, you know, if, if, if bearing was too hot or if, um, you know, fan was too noisy, then at least you can go, or right, I kind of know what's happening there. And then, you know, on review, you might look at a whole bunch of that fan being too noisy and say, well, that's the thing I need to look further into. And that's when you start applying a bit more principles as to what's going on. Look at some of your alarming data um, and try and pick up, you know, where were they greasing last and, and, and just really pick the details out later. But if you just keep it real basic um and and something that is it's hard to get wrong then you're more likely to um i think get a a good outcome yeah so
0: i guess to summarize you're just suggesting that we should take incremental steps rather than going full-blown going trying to derive hundreds of fault codes or all the possible failure causes for a component you start with the basics as you said you know too hot to touch or it's too cold or there's smoke coming out of the bearing for example perhaps keep it simple okay. and then from there you could take incremental steps and gradually uh, evolve your fault code uh, collection so you can capture uh, in more granular detail but of course yes you have to take smaller steps um, uh, there's another thing that that you mentioned that the bill of material often gets attached when, when you want to identify the kind of part that has been used for performing a specific maintenance. So how important is having a good asset hierarchy in your CMS?
1: I think it's essential. I think I think when you start off, um, you might not have again, you don't have to have it perfect, but you have to have it clear enough that you can attribute your work to the right spot. And once you're able to do that, you then, you know, there's all these other benefits that come from it around um, being able to then, I guess, really pinpoint where something's going wrong and then repeatedly um, bring that to light. Because I think the the hardest thing to do a lot of times is, um, you know, be sure that you're looking at the same thing. You know, you're all, you know, when you go out to fix something, have you actually fixed the, the same thing as we did last time? Um, in the same location and being able to have that um, ability to do that makes it very helpful for, um, I guess, future, future works. And, and, and I guess one of the things that, again, you'll you want to make sure that there's no overlap. You're not doing things like um, splitting up between electrical and mechanical or, or into service categories. You really want to build it based on how the plant looks or the equipment structure looks because you don't want to get yourself into a knot where you go all these electrical faults sit in their own little bucket but yep. then there's some relation with the other works and then you just it, it you well you it, one day you'll want to unravel it and it becomes hard to unravel it you want to start it up well and, and get more specific later
0: yeah no, that's very true uh, i have a funny story to share on, on asset hierarchy in one of my previous jobs we had a bump uh, asset hierarchy and for some reason, they had the wrong motor as the bill, in, in the bill of materials. So what is essentially happened was they had this wrong um, capacity and the motor failed. So they said, oh, it's this motor." So they looked at the bomb and said, all right, it's this, it's 15 kilowatts. They went, go to the store, bring that motor in. And they when they go to replace the faulty motor, they realized that, oh my God, this is not even the right motor. So yeah. th- what they were thinking is a simple replacement, you know, one in, one out. They actually had to spend additional time just to wait to get this new motor in stock so they could do the replacement. So it, it was such a mess and it, they lost so much more money just because the uh, asset hierarchy or the, the way the bill of material was organized was completely wrong. And it's not just with pumps, it's some of the common smaller components as well that valves of the wrong sizing. Yeah. Uh, incorrect hoses, fittings, and everything else that is going wrong, and it's just like his belief uh, how have <laughs> they managed to run so long without a major accident? But uh,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, it's so it's, I guess so far from our conversation, uh, what I understand is that having your work order and collecting good work order uh, data is extremely important. Uh, and having an asset hierarchy correct and set up right is also important. So I guess this is a 2 part question. Uh, How does collecting good work or data link to the reliability and the availability of your asset? And second part of this question is, it's so important and crucial that we get this information right, yet very few organizations are actually able to do this correctly. What do you think prevents from happening
1: i think a lot of time when it comes to the benefits that can be had um, around getting that that structure right and getting um, everything to flow logically is that you know you've got supplementary systems like your inventory you've got your drawings and when you when everything follows a set structure you can you know easily link things together you can find your gaps you can talk about you know where potential for improvement is and and there's no or there's less confusion there's less um you know the ability to get things wrong and, and communication obviously relies on you being able to interpret what i'm telling you and, and if you've got your system set up so that you know you can check out the right drawing you can submit it to a vendor they can give you the parts you can go and grab them chuck them into your plant have it all work record what happened and do all that kind of thing very neatly and easily then you know when it comes to looking at that later as you know the the bread and butter of reliability or asset maintenance person that's that's involved in um the performance ongoing of an asset um you know you can do that with with confidence with with the ability to um say yeah i know exactly what's going on and you know really i guess yeah i guess the confidence is is the main thing you've you've walked out of it and you know what's going to happen and you can just come back later on and you go sweet as we just keep building steadily from there um the the side of um sorry what's the second part of your question
0: so i guess the inability of the organizations to implement this and why so few organizations get it right so i guess the hardest
1: part is is knowing what good looks like I, i think um you know, there, there's consultants that you'll get in. There's, there's people that might have, um, you know, been given a brief and you'll often have these briefs designed by, um, I don't know, people that, that probably haven't gone through the detail. They haven't borne the pain necessarily of of having it wrong. They'll probably go through um, a situation where they might have seen it done somewhere else well and, and they're trying to implement that straight away or, or do something to that effect where you just haven't got, Necessarily, the um, I guess it's almost like blood, sweat, and tears, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing that you've been through, um, what it's like when it's wrong, and then you've got a lot of um, I guess insight. You learn a lot more from when you you make mistakes than when you do when you get it right the first time. So I guess the it it just seems to be that the devil's in the detail and we just neglect it too often. I think that's when we get a a system that kind of looks like it works, um, probably consulted to make it work and they'll happily charge you for it. You build this um, this view system and you give it to someone and then it breaks because, you know, something doesn't make sense or it's all over the shop and, um, you know, it's not quite right for your organisation or, you know, you think close enough is good enough and you run out of money and then you stop halfway and then all of a sudden there's a lot less benefit that you, you know, you're supposed to get out of it.
0: That's a fantastic answer. I think another part of this, what I've experienced is a bit of reluctance on part of uh, the the organization. I've I've heard this. You must have heard this as well. Oh, we've always done it this way. That's why we don't want to improve on it. Yes. Or or it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Um, If it's not broke, don't fix it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Hey, we've been running um, for so long without any major problems. So why do we need to make any changes now?
1: Yeah, one of the ones that I've hated the most was um, the 80/20 rule. People are trying to use this Pareto principle to go, you know, you don't have to do, you don't have to do perfect. You don't have to get it all the way there. You just do 80% of it, and you'll have done enough to, to get you through. And it's it's a, you know, it's a misuse of the idea. It's you know, it, the idea to me has always been that um, when you when you get the whole picture out you'll find the bulk of benefit come from knocking out a small, uh, a small portion of the possibilities. Um, And then anything more whilst, you know, it is beneficial. You get to somewhat diminishing returns, but we sort of use it in the, in the terms of, um, you know, we will do 80% on 80% on 80% publicly. And before too long, you've got less than half of the benefit that you really wanted to get out of it. you You know, just theoretically speaking, but you know, it seems to be the way that if you do 80% of your 80 hierarchy, then you get your work orders 80% right. And then you get, you know, compliance towards 80%, then you're really just, you're really looking at missing a whole lot of valuable information that, um, you know, you would have had if you just did at least a couple of things well and thoroughly and, and really knock it out of the park because it's too often you'll just wish another day that has, you know, that you've, you've, you did a little bit more in this area, or you know, we took our time, we took up, we, we 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 you know got a little bit more money and spent it better, and then delivered more of an outcome that we could use later on. Because it's like you know, delivering infrastructure like broadband and broadband networks, for instance. You know, you can have technology out there that gives you the best and brightest, and sometimes people saying, "God, oh, we don't need that," but then there'll be a day when your demand exceeds what you exceeds what you've got installed yeah. in terms of infrastructure. And then what are you going to do then? Rip it all out again and put something new in? Like,
0: uh, that's definitely true. Uh, that is a fantastic conversation. And I hope our listeners um, have learned or taken from your experience and can successfully implement or at least have an incremental improvement in their work or a data collection. And they've re- understood and realized what are some of the, important fields or what kind of information should be captured so i guess to bring this uh to a wrap uh harish what suggestions or recommendations do you have uh, for uh, any young uh, or i don't want to discriminate again for any Uh, any reliability or maintenance engineer in in their phase of life for capturing better data
1: yeah i guess you know you'll turn up one day and you'll you'll look at what you've got and i think that the main thing that you want to ask them is, is what does your acid hierarchy look like? Um, if you're, um, if you're not familiar with that plant, if you're not familiar with that area and system, you know, that's your map. Start with that You walk, and walk the line, you know, as they say. And I think once you start doing some of those things, you'll start to see where, um, you know, you, you understand what you're up for. you understand what's going to come at you. And then in potentially, um, you know get yourself into a good spot to really be productive after that because I think people you just gotta realize that day one on the job or the first six months of the job you should really be trying to learn what you're what you're up for and and then try and do something outside of that because it's you can get too ambitious and and, and try and save the world on day one but yeah you know, you ne- you, that that won't work like, you just it's just there's too there's so much complexity you just gotta take your time and being for the long haul, I guess.
0: Now, that's definitely true. Uh, walking the line or walking the area of where your assets are sitting, it is so important to understand uh, your the context of your assets. And you, you get to speak to the production operators or your maintainers, and then that's how you learn more about the functionality or your capability of your asset. Uh, just a last question, Harish, um, what sources would you recommend if someone is new or just has recently graduated wants to get into the field of reliability engineering and wants to learn more about data collection or fracas what are your go-to sources for that um i guess the,
1: the thing that I, I like one of the standards that are up there is a uh, um, oil and gas standard. i think it's iso 14224 um so that talks about what you should be recording in terms of um you know, failure data and the like and one of the things I like about that is um, it, it sort of sets you up for all the fields that you want to see um, to understand the impact to so impact to safety, impact to production impact to, to whatever the process is um, and I think that's important to, to establish and then you know you can take that sort of document and then you start to go all right well how, how is my organisation recording this and then you start to, you know, perhaps build um, what good looks like, and then you start to go from there. You'll find your gaps quite readily. So um, I think that's probably the best one. Again, there's there's a ton of book, textbooks. I think there's one um, Practical Reliability. Um, I can't recall the author. We'll put it in the link later. Um, no, I'll put that in. And that's yeah, that, that's quite a good one as well. It's um, it starts to introduce you to some of the the fault tree type analysis, which I think is important um oftentimes you'll be the only one that's sort of thinking in a statistical manner and um you know from that you'll probably find out that you didn't pay enough attention in statistics and realize you want to go back to read some of those books too so um i think yeah stats is your friend when it comes to the stuff and being able to to understand what good data looks like is is very important because you'll probably be the only one that does
0: Yeah. It's funny you say that that stats are important. I, the previous episode was exactly about that. Uh, It was talking about the linkage or how much statistics should a reliability engineer should know. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So I I wish, I hope that our listeners can uh, listen to that episode and get an understanding of and appreciate the point that you've just made that the importance of statistics uh no, thank you so much, Arish. I really uh, no enjoyed worries. having a chat with you and I look forward to having you on the on the podcast again. Have a fantastic no, day, Rish. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Yeah. All right then.
1: Bye.